Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame. And you got the, and there's a. Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Pot of Gold podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. New users of the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 when using the code INSIDER. Eric, Notre Dame is on spring break and coronavirus continues to threaten the scheduling and planning of live sporting events, but we're still sitting together in a small podcast studio willing to talk about ND football. That is until maybe you start coughing a little bit and then we might have to rethink this, but uh, with the cornerback position expected to be a big storyline for the Irish this year, we wanted to bring on a guest that knows a bit more about backpedaling than us, so we invited former All-American cornerback Shane Walton out of the podcast. Shane, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Shane, I wanted to start talking about a coaching a little bit. You are the defensive coordinator at La Jolla Bishop School, which happens to be the school that Notre Dame quarterback commit Tyler Buckner plays at, but I wanted to talk about cornerbacks first. Notre Dame hired... Mike Mickens, a former All-American cornerback himself, as its new cornerbacks coach. I'm curious from a coaching standpoint, what is what is the key for a cornerbacks coach to sort of establish some credibility with his players right away, and how important is that? Well, I, I think he's already, he already has it, right? He's played the game at a high level. Um, he's played at a level where most of those guys want to get to. Um, so I think he already has the credibility in, in that way, but you know, I think all of coaching is really just building a relationship with the guys you coach. Um, if he can do that, I'm, I'm sure Ryan Kelly and, and Co. wouldn't hire him if he couldn't build relationships with guys. But I think that's the most important aspect of coaching is building a relationship with guys and, and seeing how they need to be challenged. Shane, Notre Dame has eight corners on the roster right now, a sixth-year senior a junior, and six either redshirt or true freshmen. I know when you came onto the team, you had been playing soccer. I think it was your sophomore year you came to play football. What is the most difficult challenge for a young player to get on the field and get the confidence of his coaches? I think just just really being consistent and also knowing the defense. it's difficult to put a guy out there if they don't know what they're doing. If they don't know the checks, if they don't know how they're going to be attacked, if they don't know where their help is, if they don't know where the force guys, uh, if they can't keep contained. It's difficult to play guys that fundamentally don't know what they're doing on a consistent level. Um, it's difficult to play if you can't do those things. Um, and then just showing some, you know, some pride in, in how you play man to man and how you roll the ball and how you tackle it. So, um, all those things are, are going to be important in this effort process. What are, what are some of the physical traits that you're looking for in terms of those young cornerbacks that maybe as a, as a high school coach you're trying to figure out who can play cornerback? What, what are you looking in guys that you're like, okay, that kid can play cornerback for me? Uh, you look for, you know, number one for me is confidence. Um, you play in a position where you're going to get beaten, and how do you respond? That's so what I always tell my guys. Look, I, I don't care if someone catches the ball on you. I care how you choose to respond. And so having the confidence to be able to, to move at, at your position at times, but still be able to compete and help the team. Um, but those are 
first and foremost, the first thing I look for. Then you have to look for a guy who has good hips, a guy that can run, a guy that's smooth um, and has instinct. Shane, you guys, by the time you were a veteran group in the secondary, had as much swagger as I've seen any defensive <laughs> back group play with, and you backed it up. And, and I'm wondering, when did you kind of move from being confident to we want to dominate kind of mentality? We, you know, we're kind of invincible back here because it felt like sometimes in the 2002 season you guys were. Yeah, you know, a lot of that stems from, from practice. Um, we felt like we went up against some of the best receivers every week, um, throughout the week, Monday through Friday, um, and the guys we had on the offensive side of the ball. And then going into the games on Saturday, just being able to compete and being able to dominate um, and communicate and do the things we do um, on the field just led to a lot of confidence. Um Knowing that, hey, we're covering some of the best guys in the country Monday through Friday, and we're going on Saturday. This, this, this is easy. Um, and so a lot of what we did in practice carried over the games, and then just relying on one another. I, I think that we all trusted that the other person was going to be where they're supposed to be. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't just the DBs, right? We have the linebackers were from Hamilton, and we had the D line that could get pressure on the quarterback. So. Everything works in, in tandem. It's not just the DB and just the, it's, everything works together. We had a, a great, uh, I think, mixture of, of all three levels. Shane, this cornerback group has, as Sean Crawford, go at, coming back as a sixth year senior, has certainly been through a lot during his career and seen a lot of playing time. How much or how important is it to have a guy like that that can maybe help along a, a younger group, even though? Certainly we mentioned what Mike Mickens has to do as a coach, but how much does it help to have someone like Sean Crawford in that room? Well, I think you, in that you have a, a coach on the field, right? Um, a guy that's able to get guys lined up, a guy that if they're young and unsure about things, he can you know guide them and direct them and turn them into uh, where they're supposed to be mentally and physically. Um, so just having that on the field is invaluable. I know in my coaching in high school, Every time I have a guy like that on defense, uh, it just makes my job so much easier uh, just because I have someone out there that can relay all my thoughts, all my critiques, all my um, expertise. He's already out there and he's doing it with, with the guys. Shane, Notre Dame in its recruiting philosophy is trying to recruit cornerbacks with a little bit more length that still have the speed and so forth but they're finding that they have to kind of get some raw talent guys that maybe were running backs or wide receivers and then kind of make sure that they have the hips but teach them how to play corner. But you guys weren't overly tall. How did you deal with tall receivers um, during your time? You know, one thing my coach said is that, you know, just because they're tall doesn't mean they have to come down with the ball. And so – you're taught when you're playing a big guy, a 6'4 guy. Um, there's, there's a way to, to defend him because um, you still have to come down to the ball, so you're talking to your pocket. You have to go up when he's coming down. There's, there's different things you do um, to help offset that. Shane, uh, you, uh, Eric mentioned hips there. You talked about having good hips earlier. That's something that I've never figured out as like someone who watches football. What what hip, what are you looking for when you're talking about good hips? Is there a way you can describe that to us common folk to understand what what good hips looks like when you're evaluating an athlete and figuring out whether that would would uh, um, sort of adapt to being a cornerback? Yeah, definitely. So if, if you think about playing the position, you're lined up facing the wrong way, and so you know at, at some point you're going to have to turn and open. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when you said that a guy has good hips, if I can turn and open exactly where I want to be um, and then be able to go full speed um, as soon as I turn, that's what I'm talking about, good hips. Where okay. A guy that can be backwards, can backpedal or be pressed, and the receiver makes a move and I can turn and open, and, and there's no um, there's no lull in my like start to full speed. And so... Um, just being able to turn around and then be at full speed just like that 
is an important guy who has tight hips, can't really open his hip, his legs wide enough or uh, fluid enough, so he has to cross over step. And anytime you cross over, I mean, you're going to be behind. And so you want to be able to be able to flip your hips open and, and, and be running full speed um, just like that. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Shane, I know that you watch some Notre Dame football when you can. I'm curious, not not as a cornerback, I'm going to ask you about a safety, what your impressions were of Kyle Hamilton last year, the freshman safety. Uh, you know, he reminds me a lot of uh, Abram Elam when I was at Notre Dame. Uh, he's real raw, but he, he's just a playmaker. Everywhere the ball is, he is. Um, I, I remember I used to watch a lot of film on Ed Reed, and the guy was just a playmaker. But some of that is, you know, he you have to be smart and understand what's going to happen before it happens. And so they they say like when you're in when you're in um, the zone that everything slows down for you. And some people have just have a, the ability to have the game be. He played in slow motion. And what that tells you is that they've already had it in their mind. They know how they can be attacked. They know where their health is. They know where their weak spots are. And so they're able to put all those things together at once and, and not, and still be at peace and, and be able to play calm. And so he has that in him. I'm, I'm excited to see his leap um, that he has with a full grasp of the defense, um, with a year under his belt, experience under his belt. Um, there's nothing that beats college experience, um, like college experience. Uh, I tell people all the time, like, you want to go play at this high school level, this level, there's nothing that prepares you to college besides playing in college. And so him having a year under his belt, him having all those different things in his mind that, that he's blessed to have, I'm excited to see where he goes next year. One thing that I think is kind of interesting, um, you know, Lou Holtz, flipped guys from offense to defense sometimes within a season Willie Clark Tom Carter um, people like that and they played at a very high level I know you had a teammate that was a running back that that played corner with you at a very high level Vontez Duff Um, it seems like that's a little bit longer process now maybe our coverage is more sophisticated or do you still think that it's plausible to be able to make that switch and make it fairly quickly? Um, you know, usually people, sometimes people fight the switch, but, you know, most of the time you're switched for a reason, uh, whether it be a need or whether the coach sees something, an ability or talent in you that can be utilized on the other side of the ball. Um, a lot of the guys that switched and, like, they ended up having great careers. I remember... Vontez moved from running back to corner and had a great career. Courtney Rockstein moved from running back to corner to linebacker and played seven, eight years in the NFL. So uh, these switches happen like, for a reason. The coaches see something. Um, these coaches, they know what they're doing. Uh, they've been around football a long time. They understand your skill set. They understand your ability level. And they're just trying to put you in the best position uh, for you to have success, but also the team. Shane, when you came to Notre Dame, you were a soccer player, and then obviously found a role on the football team. When did when did you feel comfortable as a cornerback? Was that a tough transition for you? Yeah, I would say probably after my first year, um, I did I didn't didn't know anything about football. Uh, you played in high school, and you think you know coverages, and then you know your position, and then you get into the uh, college, and then you know you can't just know your position; you have to know the safety, the strong, the free, the outside linebacker, the mic, the end. You have to know what everything is going on. And so once I was able to get a grasp of the defense, um, and then it made my position a lot easier. Just because I knew uh, where I could be exposed, I knew where my help was, um, I knew my alignment, um, where the other, other team was, was going to do. And so it's not just about learning your position, it's about learning every position on the field, but then also learn, Knowing that, understanding what how the offense is going to attack you. So, I like to say it's like a it's like a puzzle piece. So every every play is a puzzle, 
and you're just trying to put all these different things that are in your mind and you're seeing practice and seeing film. You're trying to put it together. The guys that can put it together the quickest, quickest and most efficiently are the guys that make plays and have success because you can be faster than me, but if I know what's going on, I'm going to get there before you. Shane, you were the last All-American at cornerback for quite a long time at Notre Dame until Julian Love was able to reach that status. I'm curious, is the game more enjoyable to watch now in terms of Notre Dame games, seeing that the defensive secondary has been improving and have has been somewhat of a strength for the last couple of years for Notre Dame? I would just say the defense in general. It's fun to watch guys um, just lying around, having fun, and uh, getting to the football. It, it, it looks like it really means something to him, I think. Uh, that comes from the top. Right? I think Coach Clark Lee is doing a phenomenal job of having it mean something to these guys. You could, you could tell it means something for them to be out there, for them to represent Notre Dame and to represent whatever on defense you've done before them. Um, when, I, when I watch guys flying into the football, like, that means something to me. If you flip on the page from 2002, you'll see guys flying into the football. Um, and it meant something to us. And I think last year, it's kind of the same thing. Um, guys were flying to the football. Like, the long suit was pretty high. Um, and, and that was what made me proud more than anything. Again, I, I talked to the coaches every once in a while. I said, look, I, I don't care if you win or lose. I, I care how we win or lose. And so um, that seemed to be going in the right direction. Shane, Tyler Buckner has from a distance has put up ridiculous numbers uh, so far and, and he's gained a lot of national attention. He's an ascending player as far as all the rankings and so forth go as someone who sees him on a regular basis play. What do you think his potential is at the college level? I think he can be a star. Um, what he does you could put him anywhere on the field and he's going to be a star. He played safety for me his freshman year and he was a star. If he played running back, he'd be one of the best running backs in the country. Freshman year, he played receiver. He was one of the best receivers in, in the county. So, you combine all that with his attitude, he's one of the best teammates I've ever seen. He loves his guys, um, never blames them for anything. I mean, it would be easy to do. Um, the way he's able to pass the ball, the way he sees the field, um, he can make every throw. He can put touch on it. He can be off balance. He can throw off his back foot. He can stride into a ball. And then I'm not even talking about him running yet. When he decides to tuck the ball and run, he has the best combination I've ever seen of a high school quarterback. Um, I, I think he's an absolute stud. Um, and then that combined with what he does intellectually, uh, he, he's just a leader. He's going to make that team and everyone around him so much better. Uh, his desire to be the best he can be is incredible. Uh, he's by far the best player on our team and he's the hardest worker. He's the first one at practice. He's the last one there. He's the one watching film. He knows all the plays. He, he makes all the checks on the field. Uh, he's he has, I, I don't see a weakness in his game. I, I study quarterbacks and I look for weaknesses, and I, I do not see a weakness in his game. Do you think, you know, Ian Book is going to be gone after this year. Do you think he's good enough and advanced enough that he could start at Notre Dame as a true freshman? As soon as he learns offense, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. He's too special of a talent. Maybe even if he doesn't win the starting job, I'm almost sure they're going to have a package for him. He's too special of a football player. Um, physically, he, his freshman year, he looks like a college player. I mean, he's 6'2", he's probably about 2'10", 215. It's all muscle. It's all good weight. He's thick. He's explosive. He's fast. He, uh, he, he's going to be phenomenal. What's it like having to try and stop him in practice every day? <laughs> He's the reason why our defense is so good. He's running scout team offense, and the first couple of weeks, I'm like, what is wrong with our defense? Why, why are we not making plays? And 
he's throwing the freshmen and sophomores running, running the scout team and they're completing passes. Not because we don't have I mean, the coverage is great. He just, he puts the ball the only place it could be caught. Um, he just, again, he makes everyone around him a better football player. Um, and he also makes everyone believe that they're better than they are. And so he has a special talent in that way. And again, I'm not talking about him just physically. I'm talking about what he can do psychologically to his team and to his teammates. Um, he, he just makes people believe that they're invincible. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Shane, I know that there are some people that say, well, they're, they play small schools and so forth. How difficult is this competition? Now, there are small schools that are really good. How would you assess the competition that he plays against in San Diego area? The, the schools we play in our league are, are not the biggest, best schools. But like I said, it, it, it does not matter where you put him. If he was in a tournament league, he would be doing the same thing in a tournament league. He's that special of a player. Um, we play undermanned um, when we get to playoffs the way California does or San Diego does their ranking. They, for playoffs, they rank you based on your last five years. And so we're a school of 500 kids, and we're playing schools that have upwards of 2,500 kids in their school. So, we're, so they look at our league, and yes, we're playing against um, – smaller schools. When we get the playoffs, we're playing in some of the bigger schools in California with lesser talent. And so what he does with that is it's incredible. I mean, they say the talent that we play isn't the best, but you know what? The talent that we have isn't the best either. And so if he was on a better team, he'd have better linemen, he'd have better receivers, he had better running backs. And so you can say what you want, but at his position, what he can do it doesn't matter where he plays. He can play eight-man football, and hmm. he's still going to be incredible. He can play against the best competition. He he's just a phenomenal. I've, I've coached high school football for 11 years. I've never seen a football player close to his level. How rewarding has it been to get back to the Bishop School and, and your high school alma mater and, and be able to coach and do some other things around the school? Oh, it's been a blast. You know, I... Um, I always thought I would be working at a school. I didn't think I'd be working at the school I went to. Um, but it's a, it's a blessing for sure. It's, you know, I think I have a little bit of credibility um, when you guys look at me and say, hey, I know how hard it is to go to school like this uh, with the academic standard that we have. I know how hard it is to get recruited at a school like this um, based on our school size. And so, there's a little bit of credibility that I have that I bring just by, you know, having lived what they're going through. And so I can empathize um, at a different level than I think most coaches can uh, just because I, I was them. Um, and so but it's been a blast. I, I love the school. The school helped, you know, change my life. And uh, it's been a blessing for me to, to come back and be able to hopefully add value to a place that has added so much value in my life. All right, Shane, those are all we have for you. We appreciate you taking time to share your insight with us. All right. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's continue the secondary talk with some prop bets for this upcoming season. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under three and a half starting cornerbacks for Notre Dame this season. Well, Notre Dame, I think at some point, in the season is going to start in either nickel or dime, which would put three cornerbacks on right. the field. And then I think somebody's going to get injured at some point. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I went over as well. Mike Mickens was not afraid to play a lot of cornerbacks in his previous stops at, at Cincinnati and Bowling Green. So I think that can also influence the, the over-under here. And I think beyond the two guys that we think will be the primary starter, Sean Crawford and Tariq Bracey, um, I don't know that there's going to be a, a lot of separation between that next group of guys, so I think those guys, any of those guys could end up being in the starting lineup if needed um, because I don't know that there's going to be just three guys that are that only stand out above the rest. Next one is over under 200 passing yards allowed per game. 
Well, Notre Dame's opponents, seven of them averaged more than 200. Actually, USC averaged more than 300. Four of them were under 200. One, Wisconsin, was right at 200. Notre Dame gave up 168 a game. Some of that was because you could run on them early in the season. Right. Um, and and teams are going to be behind and have to pass. And, you, and they played against Boston College in yeah. addition to Navy. Right. Um, although Georgia Tech is kind of this year's Boston College. Sure. So I'm actually going to say under. I think they'll be able to manage that. I will go over. Um, I think maybe influenced by I think the offense will be able to put up – Notre Dame's offense will be able to put up points. So I think Notre Dame will be playing from a lead a lot, um, and that would obviously increase the likelihood of the opponent passing more. Um, I also I, – I think there's still reasonable questions about the secondary beyond Kyle Hamilton um, in terms of what they're going to be able to do. I think certainly the pass rush should help them and, and keep them um, in um, better positions than they could be if they were just relying on their defensive secondary. Um, but I, I still think that um, e- even if they hold them to 203 yards per game, that's still a pretty good passing defense. Um, so I, I, I think it'll go over 200, but I don't expect it to be a lot uh, higher than 200. Next one is over under 12.5 passing touchdowns allowed this season. I'm going to go over. There were only a half a dozen teams that were under 12 last year. Um and then maybe a one or two at 12. Notre Dame was at 13. Um, I think with the corners Notre Dame has, that may be the entryway to having that number a little higher than. Right. So that's why I'm going to go over. I, I still think they're going to be a really good pass defense. Yeah, I, I went with under. I, I think it, it makes some sense that. Like I would, I would imagine that fade passes will be will be at a high frequency against this these cornerbacks because they don't have big cornerbacks. But maybe they get guys like Isaiah Rutherford and Cam Hart that maybe they maybe they're more specialty guys that play in the red zone on defense. Now certainly you're trusting guys that are sophomores that haven't played much at cornerback uh, at the college level. But um, I still. I still think they'll be able to clamp down in the red zone. I think that's been a big part of why they were uh, were successful in terms of allowing a, a low amount of passing touchdowns in the past. And I, I think Clark Lee just has a knack for figuring out how to how to counter that. And and uh, um, so I'm going to go with under. Next one over under eleven and a half interceptions for Notre Dame's defense. Well, Kyle Hamilton will have a bunch. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, what should I put? Like, I should have done a category for non-Kyle Hamilton interceptions. I, I think they're actually going to be over, and why I say that is I think they're going to get some at the linebacker level. I think Jeremiah Wusukormo is going to get a couple. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to test the corners, and, and they're going to give some things up, but they're going to get some wobbly passes too just because they're trying to throw at them. So I would say over. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. I, I, it's, I, think it's, I think it's a little surprising how few they had last season given how good their defensive secondary was. Um, so it just seems like it, they're, even though there's different guys back there, there will be a, a pretty good chance that Notre Dame increases that and has some guys that can make the play, some plays on the ball. Um, I'd like to see a healthy Sean Crawford, what he can do. I think he's, he's a bit of a playmaker, so – I think I would like his chances of maybe making some interceptions. And Tariq Bracey, being a former offensive player himself, I think he should be a guy that should be have some natural ball skills. Certainly it's going to be tough against big receivers at times, but I think both those guys have really good ball skills, and so I think that will allow them to maybe have some – even if Cam Hart gets on the field, certainly he was a guy who played receiver. So you're talking about a lot of guys that shouldn't be um, afraid of catching the ball and uh, have, a, have bad hands necessarily, even though they're playing defensive back. Um, so I will think I think that may go over. And the pass rush is going to be good too. Absolutely. Last one: Will Notre Dame's pass efficiency defense finish in the top fifteen? I do. I, I think so. They've been five and six and five the last couple of years, which is actually the two highest rankings for a Notre Dame defense since pass efficiency defense has been a stat, which is around ninety-two. I think it came mm-hmm. in. Um, but again, given the pass rush given that you have linebackers that can cover, uh, and I'm, I'm assuming whoever plays buck linebacker will fit into that category. And that's part of your pass efficiency defense. It's not just your corners. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go that way. I went with no. I'm just 
Um, like I alluded to earlier, I just there's still too many questions at this point, and I think um, the depth isn't there. So if something goes wrong with their, if there's an injury, it really makes me hesitant to feel um, really good about this entire group because I just need to see more about these corners. Now maybe by the time we get to August, I feel differently, and I feel like I've seen enough through spring practice and preseason camp. But um, I just I don't think they're going to be poor. Um, I just don't know that they're going to be at an elite level like they have the last couple of years. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. And, yes, you can also email us questions too. There have been some email questions that have come in, and we have one today. First one is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. What kind of year does Ian Book need to have to be mentioned in the same category of three-year starting quarterbacks like Jimmy Clausen and Brady Quinn? Can he ever get there? And then Josh adds, I think Book takes a lot of unnecessary heat while Brady Quinn is rightfully beloved. Um, Ian Book has to be a top 10 quarterback in pass efficiency. Mm -hmm. And if he is, I think there's enough – people around him support around him that Notre Dame is going to exceed 10 wins I think they'll win an 11th game and maybe a 12th but they'll win an 11th game if he's a top 10 quarterback the thing about it is you know he doesn't have a running game to lean on right. so he does have to be a top 10 quarterback and I think if he is then he will be beloved and you can send him a valentine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he wins 10 games, he'll have more wins as a starting quarterback than any other Notre Dame quarterback, which I think may be a surprising number for people. But I think if he has a similar season to last year, I don't know that people would – even if he gets to 10, 10 wins, I don't know that people will still necessarily think of him as as the Brady Quinn-Jimmy Clausen level. And I think that makes some sense. It, their their level wasn't necessarily based on winning. It was based on their performance and how much they had to do in terms of carrying the offense. And, um, and they had some wow moments. Sure, like the there was a UCLA game with Brady Quinn where he had an amazing pass to Smarge. And right. There were some crazy things with Jimmy Clausen. Right. Even though his defense stunk, where you just went, wow, okay. Yeah, and I think I mean Ian Books had some moments the USC the drives against USC to kind of clinch the game. Obviously Virginia Tech that was a do or die drive, um, but I think th- those were so close to the Michigan game that I think that sort of <laughs> they put those games belong in a black hole where people aren't going to think anything positive about that time. For and Ian they Book. also think Virginia Tech he didn't play well up up to, to that. that point, which is which is it's true. Um, so I I think that yeah I think probably some moments like that maybe are, are some of the things that will could vault him into that conversation though statistically if he has about an average season based off of what he's done the last two seasons he'll be right in there in the top three in passing yards completions um in Notre Dame history behind or either ahead of one of Quinn's in the leading for all of those there's a couple of those that um uh Ian could pass Jimmy Clausen for he needs to do a Lambo leap and have a reason for doing it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think beating Clemson alone could could yeah. could go a long way in in uh, in propelling him to that status as well. Next one is from Dave Simono at D Simono sixty six sixty six. As of today, how many games do you believe that Notre Dame can win without Ian Book starting at quarterback in twenty twenty? What I do not have the luxury of asking is when does Ian Book get hurt? Does he get hurt? In June, you know, I, I went. I approached it as, oh, you mean, yeah. So even if it's like June or August, yeah, or or like with I Kaiser, would, Kaiser had to come in in the Virginia. Right, game. I assumed it would be no games. Like Ian would not play. Like he got hurt in camp. That was the way I approached it. Right, right. Which is the way I'm going to approach it. That that you have some Brendan Clark number one reps, right, going in in, at in that practice, point. right, just not in a game. So I put eight games. That's what I eight regular season games. Yeah, I had, I wrote down eight games. That I thought were winnable, but I figured they're probably going to lose one of those just because I, at least at this point, I don't I don't feel strongly enough about Brendan Clark, probably in either direction. I don't know that for sure that I don't think he could be successful yet. I don't know that I've seen enough of him at this point to feel that way, but I still think that he has a lot of room to grow. Certainly, I, I, I thought he had a decent practice the first practice we saw him in spring, and that's really the first time we've seen him towards the top of the depth chart taking meaningful reps. Um, so I, I think. 
it's too early for me to have a really strong opinion about that. Um, so I went with seven. Just said if I, I figured if those eight games seem winnable, um, then I would imagine they probably lose one of those just because it seems hard to for a, a freshman quarter, not a freshman, a first time quarterback to come in um, and be able to win every game that he would be expected to win. Although Kelly has had really good luck with first he year sure has, starters, yeah. would your answer have been different if if the uh, question was about Phil Jakovic? Um, uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I think that do you need some time to research? <laughs> I need some time. To re- no, I I think I probably would trend in in the the. I would probably give Phil maybe a little bit more of benefit of the doubt that I think I pointed to eight games that they'd win. I probably think that, okay, he could win those eight games. And then maybe those one of those games that I thought that they wouldn't win, maybe he could win one of those. And so maybe I would trend in the opposite direction in terms of I'll give, I'd give him an extra game rather than taking a game away from Brendan Clark. But um, it's, it's hard to tell. I, and um, I, it's, I don't want it to sound like I'm bashing Phil Dracovic, but we just hadn't seen a lot of success from him in practice. And so it's not, it's, it's hard to be, totally confident in his ability to go out there and and uh run the offense like Ian Book had been running it yeah his legs I think would win a game sure yeah and I, and I think against inferior defenses especially he would still be able to take over games because of his running style um even if he wasn't having the most success throwing the ball next question is from Corey Radio at Corey Radio we know the big three games for next year with Wisconsin Clemson and USC but what's this year's trap game I'm gonna say Louisville. Yep. Um, right before it's the senior day, so they're always a little bit too wound up for that. It's right before USC, and if they have a lot on the line, if they somehow were undefeated going into that game, I think that's the game where maybe they lift their foot off the gas a little bit. And Louisville improved tremendously. Yeah, absolutely under coach Satterfield so that's my pick yeah and I think Louisville has some confidence with being able to hang for Notre Dame for part of that game last year when that was their season opener and um, trying to figure out who they were under a new coach so I agree that's the number one pick I thought maybe Wake Forest just because of the timing as well and going out on the road Um, and if Notre Dame's defense isn't up to snuff and Wake Forest can put together uh, their their offense is kind of tricky with the way they do the RPOs and the, the running backs seemingly have a chance to take a handoff for like three or four seconds after the ball is snapped it's kind of a bit of wonky certainly Notre Dame shut them down the last time they played at Wake Forest but um, playing in Charlotte against Wake Forest maybe that could be a chance for a, for a trap game but I think Louisville if Jamie is, Newman was still there I'd sure see more of a chance yeah and so I, I think uh, Louisville is by far the number one but if we're looking to maybe pinpoint another one I thought Wake Forest would maybe be a, a decent uh, pick as well Next one is the Jackal from at the, the underscore Jack Attack. Who's the next player to experience an Owusu Koromoa-like rise and an impact? If it's anybody on the roster, offense or defense, then my answer is Kevin Austin. Yeah, if it uh, needs agreed. to be a defensive guy, <laughs> I narrowed it down to two guys, Houston Griffith and Isaiah Foskey. Okay. And I am going to go with Foskey. Okay. I had I wrote down Kevin Austin as well. I think he's the number one pick. But if we're sticking defense, I thought maybe I had wrote down Houston Griffith as well. And then I thought, well, maybe it's whoever the Buck linebacker is, even though yeah. we don't know who that person is. Just the the way that the linebackers played last that. year, even though we didn't have a lot of confidence in them. I don't need, if it's Maris Lufau, if it's Jordan Jemark Heath, if it's Shane Simon, if it's Jack Lamb. I think yeah. any of those guys, I think you have to have at least a little bit of confidence that they're going to be able to succeed just to, based off of what Clark Lee has done. Yeah, just by beating out those <laughs> other three. Right, exactly. So I, I think uh, whoever that is could be the, 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 the contender as well. Next question is from Conrad Tokyo at Chief underscore 222. What are your expectations for the Notre Dame offensive line this year, top 10, top 5? What would you consider a good year and what would be a disappointment? Well, I think we need to get off the train of – the narrative that the offensive line needs to be better. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I, they need to minimally be a top 10 offensive line. That's where I draw the line between success and disappointment. Because how often do you have five starters back and five starters where there is a chance they'd all play in the NFL? Right. Uh, I think they need to be a top five. When you look at the teams that were in the playoff last year, they all had really good offensive lines. LSU was the um, Joe Moore Award winner. Do you know how many finalists they have for the Joe Moore Award? 
Because that was kind of what I wrote down. If they're not a Joe Moore Award finalist, that's to me that's probably they've had different different numbers. numbers. Uh, I think it's been as few as five and maybe as many as seven or eight. Yeah. So if they're not there, I think that's probably a disappointment, right? Right. That's that's kind of. I mean, I mean, I mean, certainly that's probably a little bit arbitrary. Like, what is it? I mean, obviously that's a good committee of people who know a lot about offensive line play. So they're gonna if they're not gonna put them on there unless they deserve it. Right. Um, So. That was, and I there's probably numbers you could point to in terms of rushing and receiving, or uh, and uh, pass protection. I mean, yeah. um, although LSU's weren't good, as good at Notre Dame as either. Okay, but there are kind of intangible things that right. they look at where they get into deep analytics and intangibles, and that's what put LSU up there. Yeah, I think if if you're just looking statistically. If Notre Dame has similar numbers to last year, I think we have to see improvement. I think is the biggest thing. If there's not improvement, there, then there's no way that it's it's not considered a disappointment. So, um, I, if you want to put a number on it, rush for over 200 yards per game, I think that makes it it's a a reasonable bar to 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 aim for in terms of the offensive line. They allowed 16 sacks last year. That's a pretty low number, so it's not going to be easy to keep it, get it lower than that. But um, I think that. Uh, I think a lot of us, no matter how much better they are this year, if they're not good against Wisconsin and, and Clemson, people aren't going to care how good the offensive line was right. if they weren't able to, to to have success in those two games. Next question is from Coffee Dark Roast at Coffee Dark Roast. Any notable position changes in particular? Any chance we can see Isaiah Pryor at the rover position, Houston Griffith and Hamilton at both safety positions, and Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa at the buck? He said Jeremiah is listed at six six one and a half two sixteen. And Pryor is listed at six two two oh two. I don't think Pryor is moving. They want to play a three safety rotation. They only have five safeties. Right. So if you move him out of safety now, you're down to four. Yeah, you gotta feel really good about DJ Brown at first and foremost, which I think they uh they do And never in, looking back. And never look back at that decision. Um and so I think that DJ Brown had a good practice when we were there last last week. Um but I think they you got enough rovers and linebackers. You don't yeah. need to move prior. You don't have a luxury at safety. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I don't. I I don't mind the idea on paper in terms of prior could potentially be a decent rover. I think I don't know. I would. I want to see that more to feel that way. But and I think Jeremiah could certainly be a, a good buck linebacker. But I think to maximize Jeremiah's ceiling, it's keeping him at rover, and so that's that's. That's the reason I don't think you do it, just because I think he's great at that position. I don't know why you'd want to. And even if Isaiah is good at that, I don't know that he's going to be as good as Jeremiah was at that position. So you're you're making that position worse right off the bat, and that's kind of what the move that would be inspiring those changes. Are there any other changes? I think that you he, think could happen. I think they would be subtle things like people at some of the backup linebackers might yeah change linebacker from, shuffling yeah yeah some shuffle there. Um, I think you could look at Zeke Carell as a guard if guard yeah, depth right. became sure because he's 290 now he was 270 mm-hmm. before and yep. you've got a starting center and you got a safety net with colin grunhard um maybe a corner or a safety is somebody that moves over from offense maybe like a joe wilkins or somebody right like that. yeah i wrote joe down too um certainly like him as a player we haven't seen a lot of him but the, the i just path, think if he's not in the rotation right he needs to be and and it what are you saving him for? You know, yeah. I mean, at this point, you got to. I think you got to get him on the field, and I think it's not like you have a ton of cornerbacks that you you value above him. I don't think, um, or that even have more experience than him at cornerback at, at the college level, and he has size, which you you lack a bit of at cornerback as well. So I think that would make some sense too. Next question is Hurley Fever at Hurley Fever. What are your expectations for Brock Wright this year? Will he be more than just a blocker? Um, I think he's going to be productive. I don't think he's going to be a game changer, um, and I, so I think he's going to get snaps, and I think Michael Mayer is going to challenge him for playing time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think it's a bit of a prove-it year for Brock in terms of being more than a blocker. I think we saw some glimpses last spring that we thought maybe could be um, signs of him imp- impacting the, the passing game more, but he didn't necess- that didn't necessarily translate to the season. I still think Tommy Tremble is going to be the number one receiving target when it comes to tight ends so i I'm, i've been waiting simo to see if brock can have more of an impact certainly maybe he could be a, a red zone threat and they could do some creative two tight ends stuff and um, i think they want to do that more so i think he will have plenty of time to play i just don't know how often he'll get involved in the passing game 
Next question is from Keith at SoccerGuy8801. Thoughts on Clark Lee being the ND coaching st- being on the ND coaching staff after this next season. Could you see him being the head coach at Notre Dame someday way in the future? Well, Clark obviously feels he's ready or he wouldn't have interviewed for the Boston College job last year. I think he's going to be really selective. And so it just depends on which um, coaching jobs open Mm -hmm. and then whether teams think he's a candidate. But I would be surprised if Vanderbilt didn't open his alma mater. Yeah, And so – I'm not super optimistic that he would be at Notre Dame and after this year. Wouldn't it be silly if they hired anyone else? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. If they need a search committee, they can hire me, and I'll tell them, hey, it's yeah. Clarkley. <laughs> like, yeah. How much do you want to pay me to tell you that? I think that he's a no-brainer for that situation. I don't know why. they, Unless he didn't want to do it, Yeah. Um, then I, it seems like that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, my question is, how hard is that job? Can he be a successful Vanderbilt coach? I, I would think so, but – I think the ceiling is pretty low uh, at that at that job. Certainly, James Franklin did a good job there and used that as a, a bit of a springboard. Um, so a lot would hinge on what he's able to do at Vanderbilt um, in terms of making him a viable candidate in the future at, at Notre Dame. I, I think he would fit at Notre Dame. It would make a lot of sense. Um, but he does need to get that head coaching experience somewhere else, in my opinion. Right, and he needs to be successful at Vanderbilt. Now, that doesn't mean he's winning the SEC. Right, East, yeah, that's that's too, big, too much but, to ask, probably. But, but to to upgrade the program where you see progress and you say, ah, yeah, I, I think he could be a Notre Dame head coach, but I think there's other people that would be in the mix. And sure. Again, we don't know how long Brian Kelly's going to coach. And I think something uh, – how, how good of – state of the program is Notre Dame and I think that that impacts how who they're looking for as the next head coach if he's the next coach after Kelly maybe it's left in a good position but maybe the end of Kelly's uh, tenure doesn't go well so um, I think that could uh, could really inform what that decision is in terms of what they're looking for as a head coach next question is from Brian Swint at Brian Swint your thoughts the biggest storyline coming out of the spring will be blank We've already seen a little bit of it. I think Kevin Austin is going to be a big story. <laughs> yeah, Kevin line. Austin is a star, yeah. I mean, the res- resolution or lack of at the buck linebacker, the Reese offense, um, running back, any developments in the running back area, what's going on with the safeties. I, I, I'm. If, let's take Kevin Austin out of it since we've already written about him. <laughs> um, I would say what's going on with the corners because yeah. that's still a big part of Notre Dame's ceiling as a team is what's going to happen at the cornerback position. Yeah, I think the two biggest things are the cornerbacks and the offensive line improvement, and we're not going to be we're not we're not going to get <laughs> you're poking the bear with that. We're not going to get answers to the offensive line improvement in spring based off of the health of their offensive line right now. And it's just hard to and, judge and the running Brian game. Brian Kelly's resistance to answering the question. <laughs> what if we went to the next practice and they don't run the ball the entire time? They just pass the entire time. That would be pretty funny. Um, I, I think that um, – so that and the cornerbacks, I don't know that we're going to have feel like we have answers to that yet. Now I think we're going to be able to see more progress at the cornerback position than we will be able to judge in terms of the offensive line this spring. But I still think, obviously, reserve judgment until you see those guys with live bullets in, in, in the fall. Um, but yeah, I, the thing that I f- I'm going to feel the most strongly about probably he- heading out of the spring is Kevin Austin is going to be a star. I mean, I think I, it seems kind of silly to say that already, but I, I do p- believe that already. And I'm waiting to be proven different, proven differently. Um, so I, I think that in terms of the storyline that I feel the surest about, that would be it. But I think the question marks, I think tend to always be the biggest storylines because, um, it, it's what leads you to come back and figure out what's going to happen next. Next question is from Case at Irish Case 5 If the cornerbacks don't progress this spring, can you see adding a grad transfer before fall camp? I've been pushing for that <laughs> for a while, and I think you know Notre Dame is going to look at that at the end of spring. They're going to evaluate where they are. Do they need that? Is there someone else on their roster that makes more sense? And again, you're going to have a fresh – wave of guys in the transfer portal after right. spring practices so i'd say it's certainly a viable option yeah i think so i think um they wouldn't be doing their due diligence if they didn't at least research it and figure out okay what are the options out there could any of these guys fit here um so i, I don't know 
when that happens or if they now certainly maybe they feel strong enough Mike Mickens goes through spring he's like hey I'm good these guys are studs they're going to be great we we don't need another cornerback but I still think just to have another option there if something goes wrong I think would make the most sense but we will see how they feel about that and what they feel like they can do with their scholarship availability next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah 3 what is the deadline for players who are on the transfer portal or and when they can transfer you can transfer any time, right. but in terms of when you can play for your new team, once the the rosters are set, once classes start at your school, right. So if you transfer the day after, you still count on the scholarship count for your old school, right. And you can't play for your new school. It's not like somebody got injured and hey, let's comb the transfer portal and get somebody out and plug them in right the, the, only, the only other thing with in regards to a deadline is when you enter the enter the transfer portal the school that you're currently at no longer has to recognize your scholarship at the end of that current semester um so that obviously if the school threatens that they you be like well i need to get out of here by the end of this semester or else i'm paying the bill for this next semester here at school um so that's that's another deadline that kids could have to wait. Now, certainly schools can still give that kid a scholarship. They don't have to uh, not honor it, but that is a, an option given to the schools if once, once a kid enters the transfer portal. Next question is from Jude at NDJRS. To piggyback off of Frank Sarah's question, what is going on with Michael Young? Is he trying to complete classwork before he transfers? And I will answer this because I reached out to Michael Young after Jude sent us this question. I had been in touch with uh, Michael back in January, and he wasn't really sure what was going to happen yet. Um, and so he said he was going to think about making visits in the spring. And then so I followed back up with him. He is currently on pace to graduate this semester. He's working on some visits, but um, with the coronavirus threat uh, and a lot of campuses being closed, he's a little uncertain of how that's all going to play out. So he's waiting to see um, what what he can plan and what he can do, and he has two schools in mind in terms of making those visits, and I will have that in a story on ND Insider Premium later today. So if someone wants to find out that answer, they can uh, subscribe and find out. Next question is an email from Matt in D.C. How will ND handle the totally bogus vacated wins in their official records and why? For example, is Brian Kelly closing in on the Holtz Rockney win total or not if the wins are taken away? How will ND handle that awkwardness? I still don't get why ND won't consider a lawsuit to recover those wins. Jack Swarbrick told Eric that wasn't an option, but Penn State successfully sued to restore Joe Paterno's wins. I, like many Notre Dame fans, have a hard time getting over that whole debacle. So a uh, lot there, but yeah, and a lot of opinion in addition to the question. But yeah, well, I mean, I think it's stupid too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I spent, you know a day rebuilding the whole Brian Kelly's record when he outrushes an opponent, when there's no turnovers. I, I rebuilt that database uh, because the one that's Notre Dame is keeping track of is wrong. um, And a lot of other things are wrong and related to that. When I asked Jack about that, I asked him about Penn state and he said it was a different, completely different context that Notre Dame couldn't sue and win i mean he's a lawyer if if they had a chance of winning they'd do it yeah his thought and they are were plenty upset about this it's yeah, not like they were yeah, happy they're about very this. upset yeah. about it i mean to the point where jack i this really surprised me when i said if you could do it all over again would you have given those guys their due process and let them come back and go through the due process right. and he said no mm-hmm. that that they would have expelled them and taken kept their victories sure um you know knowing what they do now that surprised me yeah but um i don't know i I would i don't know what notre dame's gonna do in terms of like celebrating his win totals i imagine they just won't yeah although i think we all will like i think we're all gonna we're gonna cover it and they won't stop us yeah right yeah they're not gonna say you can't do that (laughs) yeah i i think you know they uh, they had been very conservative about USC had been a little bit more aggressive about publishing both totals, both statistics with the vacated wins without them. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe Notre Dame gets a little bit more aggressive now with that. Jack's hope is at some point the NCAA would give up the concept of vacated games, right. that they would say, you know what, this is kind of a silly thing. 
um, let's just restore the wins and, you know. Because it, it doesn't really do anything. It yeah, just makes give them things a, more unclear yeah. and, and, undef- and we'll, undefined. And we'll just give them the stink eye. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, if you want to mention those things, but I, I, I don't know. It, it, it just – it's not going to stop anyone from covering it and doing the actual math of the yeah. things that happened on the field rather than uh, what the math is with those v- games vacated um, because you can't take those those events away. They still happen, and everyone remembers them. All right, next question is from Donnie Bramire, D. Bramire 34 What's the odds my wife and I can get a press box seat when we come for the Clemson game? Carter is notoriously late <laughs> to getting to the press box. So if you can dress up like him, forge a press pass that looks enough like him, that is your best chance to get into the press box. And then they will question whether Carter is really the real Carter. My thought was that if both teams are undefeated, it might be harder to get in the press box than to get a, a ticket into the game. <laughs> I think uh, uh, there might be a lot of media there at that game if both teams are undefeated because uh, anytime Notre Dame's in a big game like that and certainly a centrally located game um, against uh, someone like Clemson, um, I, I expect there's going to be a, the uh, press box seats will be hot tickets in addition to the the, the tickets. And I'll certainly will be spoiled enough where we don't have to pay the high prices that people will be demanding on the secondary market for those Clemson Notre Dame tickets. The other, only other thing is dress up in a blue blazer and be overly friendly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, next question is from Andrew Barlow at Barl Andrew. What do ND Insider writers do in the offseason to recharge their batteries, refresh their perspective, and regain their interest in all things Notre Dame football. Does Eric put you guys through drills like rapid-fire tweeting, scenario-driven training on press box etiquette, et cetera? Boy, I didn't even know there was press box <laughs> etiquette. Um, I'll let you answer what what you do. I. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I was going to make you answer for me. <laughs> okay. Well, see? Well, he asked if I put you through the drills. Um, I just try to spend a little bit more time with my grandkids that always kind of refreshes me sure and um that's that's about it yeah i think we're just catching up on lost time i think i, I agree. Yeah. like spending more time with family and friends because we don't have as much free time and like i think some people when they think about vacation they want to go somewhere to me i just want to stay at home especially right. after a long football season and traveling and stuff it's like i just i'm good here like i don't yeah. need to go anywhere else i don't want structure and deadline and Stuff so a little bit of backing off on that, and whatever those guys want to do in their free time, if they want to go ride camels in Dubai, <laughs> yeah, that's what Carter does. Yeah, Carter uses up all of his free American Airlines miles as, as fast as he can. Um, but uh, yeah, mine's nothing too exotic. And I would say I'm fortunate enough. I feel like I'm in a position where I don't, I don't feel like I need to get recharged to re-energize to cover Notre Dame football. I, I enjoy the job, and it. it uh, Certainly there's some monotony to it, and uh, sometimes it's not always easy, but um, I think it's a pretty uh, jo- a pretty good job and an easy job in terms of staying motivated and, and keeping yourself interested in it. Next question and last question is from Bre- Brendan at Very Piratey. This is an in- entirely innocent question with no ulterior motives. I will believe that when I see it. I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that they're going to make some sort of video clip out of any suggestions here. But if you could cast the ND Insider staff as a movie, what movie is it and who's playing which role? Now, I know we were talking about this earlier, and Eric was really struggling to come up with ideas for us. Um, the first, the one I had, and maybe it's just because it's a movie that I love, is The Sandlot, which Eric apparently hasn't seen, which we're going to have to fix that soon. You should watch, show your grandkids Sandlot. It's, although I'm... Some of them aren't old enough yet to watch The Sandlot, but it, it's a it's a great movie. Probably all but two aren't old yeah. enough. Uh, Tom would be Tom Noy would be Benny the Jet Rodriguez, <laughs> and I think so. I think what informed my my goal with this was finding someone that Carter could be, someone that is maybe young and could be taught things. And so I thought Carter would be Smalls, the guy who didn't know who Babe Ruth was <laughs> and uh, needed to learn a lot about baseball. I would be Hamilton Porter, the catcher uh, who likes to crack some jokes. Um, and Eric would be old man Mr. Myrtle, played by James Earl Jones, that had had the beast as the dog. And if we didn't, if we wanted to make Eric the same age as us, we could make Eric as Hamilton Porter, the catcher, and I would be yeah yeah McLennan, just uh, egging everyone on as yeah yeah. So that would be my idea. I'm a big Sandlot fan. I, I, that's one of my favorite movies. So that was an easy one for me. Um, although I'm sure there are plenty of other creative suggestions. I would be interested to see if anyone else that listens to the podcast has any suggestions as well. Um. 
I, I couldn't come up with a movie. Here's here's where I. What kept, about if you can make us all Animal House characters? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I'm not sure there's a fit there. Um, I'm trying to think of movies that I know you like. Well, well, here's here's my problem. Carter kept ending up being a female in a lot of things, <laughs> and and I'm naturally by age would be the dad, but Tyler wants to be the dad. Tyler <laughs> wants to be. Tyler is very parental. You can even tell when he corrects me on the podcast <laughs> that that he wants to be the dad. So I went with the voice judges. Okay, and 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 so here's. I think Tom Noy would be John Legend. Okay. Because Tom thinks of himself in the context where his last name would be Legend. Okay, Tom Legend. Um, I would be, strangely, the youngest person, Nick Jonas, because okay. I think Nick is kind of unconventional, and I, I fancy myself as kind of being an unconventional journalist. Tyler would be Blake <laughs> Shelton, because Blake... Reminds everybody how much he's won the voice. <laughs> he wants to think of himself as the smartest guy in the room, so I go with that. And plus, he's very quick-witted. It's harder, hard for anybody to get something in. I on like Blake Shelton. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll, I'd have to brag more about myself, but I can do that. And then that leaves Carter again with a female role of <laughs> Kelly Clarkson. Hey, Kelly's got lots of talent, but she's from Texas. Okay, there you go. She talks a lot. She's kind of. She's kind of got a goofiness okay. about her in a in a lovable, goofy, smart, respectful way. Yeah, and I, she won last year. I I'm telling you, we are going to see within the next week a clip of the voice judges spinning around in their chairs, and it's going to be our faces imposed on all those guys. So be prepared for that. I'm not going to do it, but I'm not going to be surprised if someone ends up doing that online. The guy that did the Camping World Bowl. Do you remember when I had everybody in their snuggies <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. were doing the. Yeah. And he put Jack Swarbrick and Chase Claypool, those yeah. guys on it. That was good. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. The Pot of Gold podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. New users of the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 when using the code INSIDER. That's I-N-S-I-D-E-R, INSIDER. We'll be back next week with another podcast after we talk to the Irish coordinators. If that still happens, given the coronavirus situation. Until then, stick with NDInsider.com for all your spring football coverage.